We have uh, 39 different books that were written before uh, the birth of Jesus, and they are grouped into different categories. So we have the law, which is Genesis through Deuteronomy. We have the prophets, which is, this might surprise you, Joshua through uh, the 12, and then uh, the writings, which are really Ruth through Chronicles. And we'll talk about all of that later, but we're going to be looking at those books uh, this evening, and obviously not just this evening. Uh, we're going to spend a long time studying the Old Testament together. I don't know how, how long it will be. And then we'll get to the New Testament. But we're going to start with the Old Testament, which some people could be excited about. There are people that love the Old Testament when we were in Africa. Actually, a lot of the, uh, the people that came to our church really especially love the Old Testament. And so if I would teach on the Old Testament, they would feel very at home. They'd be like, I understand this. I understand this culture. And they would sometimes have a harder time with the New Testament. But, of course, a lot of other people, when it comes to the Old Testament, are a little less excited. The Old Testament is a, a difficult book or set of books for a lot of people. I wonder here, uh, who loves the Old Testament? Who would say, the Old Testament is my jam? I love the Old Testament. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, David Takahashi. And then we've got a half and half here. Um, who here has a hard time sometimes with the Old Testament? If you don't raise your hand, I'm going to say, wow, you better read it. You probably better read it. Uh, can anybody remember the last chapter of the Old Testament that they read? What was the last Old Testament? Calvin? That's, that's good. That's specific. Excellent. Uh, anybody else remember the last chapter of the Old Testament they read? P.W.? Pastor's wife? Ruth, nice. Yeah, all the ladies, Ruth. Malachi 3. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure, yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, there are a lot of different perspectives people have on the Old Testament, uh, but for most of us, I think the Old Testament can be hard and can be sometimes confusing. I've told you about the person who describes the Old Testament or people's attitude towards the Old Testament sometimes as being a little bit like... Uh, their attitude toward their crazy uncle who comes over maybe for Thanksgiving. And so if you've ever had a crazy uncle, sometimes he makes sense when he's sitting next to you and you're like, okay, we're having a good conversation. And then sometimes your crazy uncle is talking about things and you're like, I have no idea what he's saying. And I hope that he just talk, starts talking to someone else. And the Old Testament can feel like that. There are parts that are easier to read. Uh, Psalms and Proverbs for, for me, I know. Uh, if you just want encouragement, you can go to Psalms and Proverbs. And then there are parts that are really difficult. Uh, we did a uh, this Bible project the last couple of years where we would get together on Thursday mornings and just read through the Bible. And we read through Genesis and Exodus. And one thing that we noticed for sure is that there are parts in there that are strange or at least seem strange. Uh, in fact, if you've never been um, confused by the Old Testament, startled, then um, if you've never you know, read the Old Testament and said, what did it just say? Then you probably haven't read the Old Testament very carefully. Um, if you have your devotions, I would imagine that there have been times where you've been in Ezekiel and you're like, whoa, you know, uh, what is that about? And you just kind of quietly close it and put it over there and think, well, that was interesting. Uh, poor Ezekiel having to lay on his side for all those days. I have no idea what that means. Now, uh, what are some of the things that make the Old Testament so hard? So if uh, you were going to think about the things that 
you have found confusing about the Old Testament. What are some of the things that stand out to you? Culture. Culture. Yeah, we're going to come back to that one. It's a cross-cultural experience. Okay. Sometimes you can get lost on the rules, and sometimes the rules seem like for people living in a desert or people living in an agricultural society and very different. And Right. Yeah. So some people get, they think it's almost like, is this a different God? Is it a God of wrath? And the New Testament's the God of love, which hopefully after our time in the Old Testament, you're going to be like, how could they ever say that? I don't know how they could ever say that. But yeah, the languages for sure. Yeah. You think you're, you're, I don't know if you're looking at your notes, but those are some things that I wrote down. One thing that's hard about the Old Testament is that it's very long. Uh, most of us don't read this long of, uh, of a book. There are about 608,000 words in the King James Version of the Old Testament. That's the only one I could find online that would uh, tell me. Uh, if you typed about 40 words a minute, that would take you about 250 hours to type the Old Testament. Ten uh, and a half, 24-hour days it would take you to type the Old Testament, 40, hour, 40 words a minute. So that is a big book. Uh, it's, a, it's a different kind of book. I imagine that you were dropped in the middle of a tribe somewhere that was so remote and had no access to the outside world. That would be different, right? And it would uh, take some work for you to even understand what is going on. And that would be a truly cross-cultural experience. And reading the Bible is a cross-cultural experience. Obviously, our culture has been shaped by the Bible, so there are some things that aren't, we have in common, but there's a lot that's different. Like you find this big emphasis on circumcision in the first five books of the Bible, and you're like, huh, that's different. Or there are things that we think are the same. This is probably more dangerous. Things that we just assume we understand, but it's totally different. Old Testament law is a little bit like that. We have a way of thinking about law that is different than the way they thought about the law in uh, the Old Testament. So there are things that seem the same but are different. There's just a lot that's different that makes the Bible, the Old Testament, challenging. There are a lot of unfamiliar details, even just the geography and the names of, of cities. So if I say uh, Las Vegas, an image comes to your mind. I don't have to do a lot of describing. I could just say, ah, oh, that guy went to Las Vegas. And if I say it like that, you'll be like, oh, I think I understand kind of what he's trying to get at. But if I say Bashan, probably not so much. And yet when someone was reading the Old Testament from that region, those names all had uh, memories. They, they, they called things to mind, and we don't have those memories. It's got language that's difficult. It's written in another language, of course, but we're reading it in translation, and even some of the language used there is difficult for us. And maybe it's even more the concepts. We can understand the words themselves, but sometimes the concepts are challenging. Like yeah, the word covenant is a major word in the Bible. And yet uh, sometimes we don't know what that word means. A kinsman redeemer, the ladies did uh, Ruth on, on Saturday. Kinsman redeemer, that's not a word you've probably used this last week. Uh, Leviticus, this concept of clean and unclean. We're like, is he talking about somebody being dirty, somebody needing to take a bath? But it's actually a very different concept than that. So there are a lot of things that are hard. It's a long book. It's a cross-cultural book. We're not familiar with a lot of the details. It's got concepts that are difficult. And, you know, it's just an old book. The, the Bible's thousands of years old. The Old Testament's thousands of years old. Most of us don't read thousands of years old 
book. If you sat in the, like the taxi next to a guy who was reading a book that was thousands of years old, you'd be like, wow, that's, that's some guy reading a thousand years old book. And yet we we're doing that when we read the Old Testament, it's an old book. And you know, as Americans, most of us don't like old. We've kind of got a bias against the old. We want, uh, we want new, 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 new. And we have the new, and even the new's old. But, but some may think, if we have the new, why do we study the Old Testament? Why, why do we need the old? If you felt like that, I can understand why. There are a lot of obstacles. But I want to talk with you this evening about why you absolutely, why we absolutely cannot ex- ignore the Old Testament. If that's a, that's a passion for me, we cannot ignore the Old Testament. I want you to see how important the Old Testament is. We're kind of uh, taking this class slow, so be patient. Um, and we're just kind of doing one thing a, an evening. And last time we were together, we were asking, we were just looking at the Bible and asking, what is the Bible? And we said, the Bible is God's word. And we talked about why that's significant. And specifically, we thought about this idea of inspiration. And now this week, we're going to be uh, looking more specifically at the Old Testament and saying, okay, the Bible is God's word, and we're opening it up, and we're looking at this first portion, the Old Testament, and we're asking, why study the Old Testament in particular? Why start here? Because it's hard. And because there have been a lot of people throughout history who have said we shouldn't study the Old Testament, actually. So in the early church, for example, there was a heretic named Marcion. I don't know if anybody here has heard of Marcion. Um, but Marcion was born in Turkey around 85 AD, and he was the son of a leader in the church. So he was like the son of a pastor. He was born into a Christian family and uh, one of the first pastors, uh, I imagine. And he moved around a bit in his early life, and he got pretty rich, a shipping magnate, they say. And eventually he got to Rome, and he became part of the church there, and he gave a lot of money to the church. But it didn't go well for long because he ended up getting excommunicated, and he didn't get excommunicated because of immorality as much as for false teaching. And uh, so after he was excommunicated, he actually traveled around the world almost like a missionary for his heresy, and he had a lot of heresy, had a lot of errors that he taught. But as someone has said, basically all of his errors came down to the fact that he refused to believe that the God of the Old Testament was the same as the Lord Jesus Christ, as the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he didn't like the Old Testament at all. And so he was just a completely New Testament person. And he actually didn't even like all the New Testament. He cut parts of that out too. There are only certain parts he liked there. But he threw the entire Old Testament out. And he was rejected by all the leaders of the early church across the board. I mean, they all came together and said, this is wrong. And so we know now not to agree with Marcion, most of us, Um, though there was a pretty famous teacher recently who just said we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, so Marcion would have liked him. And yet, even though most of us know not to talk like him, sometimes we act like him. That's that's the problem. Um, Because it's difficult, there are a lot of Christians who don't read their Old Testament very much, so they kind of avoid it. And there are others who maybe know a lot of facts about the Old Testament, but they don't understand how those, it's like they can tell you about all the different pieces of the puzzle, but they don't, they've never seen the picture on the front of the box. Uh, Some people use it for illustrations. So when they talk about the Old Testament, what they're talking about is not really 
connected to what's going on in the Old Testament, but they found a good story that they think maybe can illustrate a, a life lesson. Others focus on the human characters when they talk about the Old Testament, so they'll be like, be a Daniel. We need to be a Daniel. And uh, they think they're interesting stories, and they try to use them as examples, and there's some value in that, especially Joseph and Daniel are examples of how to live right now. I think that's part of why they're there, but there's also some dangers because it's like, be like David. Okay, how do you mean like marry all those wives, kill Uriah? What part am I supposed to be like? What part am I not supposed to be like? And a lot of the heroes of the Old Testament are sort of like that. Uh, Moses murdered, uh, David murdered, <laughs> Abraham let his wife get married to another man, uh, like twice, so I didn't learn his lesson. Solomon, uh, we don't want to talk about Solomon. <laughs> So just uh, looking at the characters as examples isn't going to last very long. Others look to the Old Testament to try to prove a point. So they're like, can I find a verse in here that will prove my point? And again, they don't always pay much attention to the context or ask why was this written. They just find a verse that can prove something they want to prove. And sometimes people spiritualize the Old Testament. And there's a long history in the church of reading the Old Testament allegorically. You know, the most popular book in the Middle Ages was the Song of Solomon. And uh, if you read what people wrote about the Song of Solomon, you would be very confused what book they were talking about because they found things in the Song of Solomon that you cannot imagine were ever there in the Song of Solomon. And because they weren't there, they made them up. And people still do that, you know, so people will they'll read about the tabernacle and you'll hear people talk about the spiritual significance of every single last piece of the tabernacle uh, or David's five stones. I've heard people talk about what each of those five stones meant, the spiritual significance of five stones. And of course, the problem with mo the, those kinds of approaches to the Old Testament is that we don't get the Old Testament. We get what they wanted the Old Testament to say. And that's a problem. The meaning of the scripture is the scripture. When I read the Old Testament, the author has something that he wants to communicate. And if I don't understand what the author wants to communicate, I'm not getting the scripture, which means it has, it's like, has no power. So imagine, this is silly, but imagine me preaching a very famous text on Isaiah next week um, from Isaiah 53, and it's this, all we like sheep. And I started saying, Christians are people who like sheep. If you don't like sheep, you're not a Christian. Because the Bible says, all we like sheep. No, no. Language is the instrument used by the author to communicate his ideas. And you are not the author. So if you, if you do that, you're actually pretending like you're the author. And who's the author of this book? God. So that's scary. You're putting yourself in the place of God. And if you use the text to say not what God wants it to say, but what you want it to say, it loses its power, really. You're up there talking and saying that you're biblical, but the meaning of the scripture is the scripture. <laughs> and so if you're quoting verses but not accurately explaining what they mean, that has no authority, zero, less than zero. And so a lot of times the Old Testament is neglected. Either people don't read it, or when they do read it, they're not getting the Old Testament. And the result is, in practice, many Christians have a very small Bible. So they're not Marcion, but their Bible is almost as small as his was. <laughs> they're not benefiting from 
the Bible the way they should and the Old Testament the way they should, which is a problem because there is a reason God gave us the big Bible. Um, the Old Testament is important. And, um, you know, this is an introduction. So normally we would have hours on this class. So just be patient with me because I'm going to say one thing almost each time we get together. And the one thing today is that uh, the Old Testament is very important. <laughs> and one simple way to prove the importance of the Old Testament is to look at Jesus and his attitude towards the Old Testament because we see that his attitude was very different than Marcion's, that's for sure. I read someone recently who said, it would be foolish to hold any view of God's written word other than the view of God's incarnate word, right? So God's incarnate word, that's Jesus. I want to have the same view of God's written word that God's incarnate word had. And uh, Jesus's attitude towards the Old Testament, first of all, was that it's a book you can trust. So you might have some questions about some of the stories. Scholars nowadays, living thousands of years later, somehow think they know more than the people who were actually there. But Jesus doesn't have those questions. He, he talks about the Old Testament as fact, as something you can count on. So for example, he talks about Abel in Matthew chapter 23. He talks about Noah in Luke chapter 17. He even talks about the flood. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man, which would not mean much if the days of Noah didn't happen, if it was imaginary. He talks about Abraham in John 8. He talks about Lot. You know what? He even talks about Lot's wife, which is kind of a fantastic story to some of us. She turned into a pillar of salt. And Jesus says, remember Lot's wife, which wouldn't, there wouldn't be much to remember if Lot's wife, that didn't happen to Lot's wife, if Jesus didn't think that happened to Lot's wife. He talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, fire coming out of heaven, Luke 10. He talks about Moses, and he says, uh, the law of Moses is authoritative. It commands us. He talks about David. He talks about Solomon. He talks about Elijah. He talks about Elisha. He talks about Jonah, and he treats Jonah as a real person. So there are some who would say Jonah is a story. And um, you know what? That's not a huge problem if Jonah was a story. There's poetry and all that in the Bible. But Jesus didn't think of it that way. So it can't be, you know. Uh, he, he says the, the people of Nineveh are going to rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. And that would be weird if he thought Jonah was imaginary and this was an imaginary Nineveh. You imagine the days of, uh, of judgment, like, hey, imaginary Nineveh, rise up and condemn him. That, that doesn't make sense. And so obviously Jesus believed the Old Testament was trustworthy and he believed the Old Testament had authority. The Old Testament was Jesus's Bible. You understand, this is the Bible he read. This is the Bible he quoted, the Bible he loved. He says in John 10, 35, it cannot be broken, which is why so often when the religious leaders would make an objection to Jesus, he would take them back to the Old Testament and he would say, look, your problem is that you're not understanding what this, the, the scripture means. It's not, your problem's not that you're reading the Old Testament. Your problem is that you don't get it. He saw himself as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And uh, it's hard sometimes to fully understand how it worked out with Jesus being fully God and fully man um, and how that worked as he lived his life out here on earth. But there are some who would say that as a man, he learned things about who he was from studying the Old Testament. And whether that's how it worked or not, we, we do know when he started his ministry, he said, he opened up Isaiah and he says, this is me. That, he quotes a passage from Isaiah. 
So he knew the Old Testament well. You look at his temptation in the wilderness, what's going on? Satan is misinterpreting Old Testament. Some people would say Satan was an expository preacher. He was just a bad one. He was, a, he was preaching the Bible, but just preaching it poorly. And so Jesus actually had to say, no, that's the wrong interpretation. Jesus taught his disciples the Old Testament. This is the climax of Luke. We're going to get to that years from now. But he's with these disciples who are all discouraged because they don't understand how Jesus could have died. And he's, you know what he says to them? He says, you guys are so foolish. Was it not necessary? And then Luke says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures, all the scriptures, the thing concerning himself. As someone has said, the Jesus Discipleship School was also a Jesus, Jesus book club, and that book was the Old Testament. He wanted his disciples to know it. He wanted his disciples to understand it. He believed the Old Testament. He saw it as authoritative and necessary. And of course, Jesus rose from the dead. And, uh, I, uh, and so we should listen to what he says about the Old Testament. I always say, I think you should listen to what someone who rose from the dead says. That's just as a life policy, you know, like if you rose from the dead, I'll listen to what you say. And Jesus says the Old Testament is important. Now, why is it important to Jesus? One reason it's important to Jesus is because you cannot really understand the New Testament without understanding the Old. In other words, you can't really understand the Bible without understanding the Old Testament. So uh, God is a very good teacher. And one of the ways he went about teaching and revealing who he was to us um, was slowly. He didn't do it all at once. Um, he didn't, in, in other words, God didn't start with calculus. He, he slowly but surely revealed who he was and how salvation works. That's a doctrine we call progressive revelation. So progressive revelation is not a doctrine that is easy for us to appreciate nowadays because we like to be able to know everything really quickly. So we like it all boiled down as simple as possible, and we want to be able to hover, open, you know, like hover our mouse over a word like quantum mechanics and get one line. This is what quantum mechanics is. But the way the, that's not the way the Bible works. Um, the way the Bible works is that God doesn't give it to us all at once. He starts off by giving us like basic information that we need to know to understand what comes later. And that's true even in the Old Testament itself. So you'll get something early on in the Old Testament that you need to know later in the Old Testament. If you want to think about how the, uh, the Old Testament works, the first five books of the Old Testament are kind of like an introduction. And so if you look at the first five books of the uh, Bible and the rest of the Old Testament, those first five books set you up for everything else. And if you weren't listening very carefully in those first five books, then you're just kind of lost um, and that's why sometimes you're reading later in, the, in your Bible and you're like in Isaiah and Kings, you're like, I got no, I got nothing. I got no idea what's going on here. And that's because a lot of what's going on there is built on what went earlier and you don't know that. A very simple example, and this one isn't hard to understand. So, but you can see how the Bible builds on itself. And this is just from my devotions the other day, like literally a day or two ago. I was reading Psalm 72 and he's talking about the king, the messianic king, um, which comes from 2 Samuel 7. But anyway, he says in Psalm 72, 8, just listen to this. He says, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. And that last phrase, his enemies lick the dust, comes from where? What's that building off of? 
Genesis 3.15, and God's curse of the serpent. Dust you shall eat the days of your life. And so the point is, and you'll find that coming up in the prophets quite often, that little phrase. And the reason they use that phrase is because it's all connected back to this big promise God made about the defeat of his enemies and the serpent back in Genesis 3.15. To understand what the Old Testament means, you kind of have to know the Old Testament. Even if you just think bigger picture, the Bible starts with Genesis 1 to 11, and uh, it's, this is a very another simple one to understand. It's all about the nations. So you open up the Bible, and it's not about Israel. It's about humans. And really what you see is sin getting worse and worse and worse and people getting worse and humans getting further and further away from God in these chapters. Uh, and the sin of Adam and Eve, Cain, Lamech, and the angel marriages, the Tower of Babel, these are stages along the way which separates man further and further away from God. And then, uh, finally, God keeps giving more and more judgments until he takes all the people of the world and he basically sends them all into exile in Genesis chapter 11. And that's vital for understanding the rest of the uh, Genesis in the Old Testament. Um, that's the setup, because now you know, why are we reading about Israel? From Genesis 12 on, it's a lot of Israel. But Genesis 1 to 11 told you why. It's because humans have sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned against God to the point where we're so far away from the Garden of Eden, we are sent all over the world into exile. And now, Genesis 12, Israel. God's got a plan to fix that, the problem of humanity, and that's why we're going to be reading a lot about Israel. The, uh, imagine if you took that out. You, we, would, we would not know what is the purpose of Israel. So the Old Testament is vital for understanding the Old Testament, and not just the Old Testament, but the New. Just in general, I don't think we always appreciate how much of the New Testament is the Old Testament. Uh, so 40% of the verses in the New Testament quote or allude to verses from the Old Testament. 40%. And there are certain books that are quoted a lot. Isaiah, Isaiah is quoted 419 times. Psalms 414 times. Genesis 280 times. Exodus 250 times. Deuteronomy 208 times. Ezekiel, didn't see that one coming, 141 times. Daniel 133 times. Jeremiah 125 times. Guess what? Leviticus 107 times. Numbers 73 times. Some books are really heavy. Old Testament books in terms of quotes. Revelation quotes the Old Testament the most, 32 times. Luke, 31 times. John, 26 times. Acts, 25 times. Mark, 24 times. Romans, 23 times. Hebrews, 21 times. And the thing is, the Old Testament's not just quoted or alluded to, it's built upon. So the New Testament is built on the Old Testament. First of all, in terms of logistics. So uh, a lot of stuff that happens, just the physical stuff. When Jesus walks into Jerusalem, that didn't come out of nowhere. Uh, you need to understand what the Old Testament says about Jerusalem to understand why Jesus is like, I got to go there. I got to go there. I got to go there. Or when Jesus ascends from the Mount of Olives, there's a reason for that. There's a, there's a total reason for that. Uh, he chose that specific spot and told his disciples, I'm coming back here. I'm gonna, this is where you're going to see me come back for a reason, the Mount of Olives. That's connected to the Old Testament. 
But it's not just the logistics. The New Testament's like a conclusion to a story. And to understand that conclusion, you have to understand what leads up to it. So if you've ever played a sport you've never seen before, it's confusing. Um, it's like you're out there, everyone else knows what to do, but you have no idea what's going on. And that would be like reading the New Testament without the Old Testament. Um, the Old Testament gives us this story. You have to understand that story to understand, um, to understand what is going on in the New Testament. Somebody's described the Old Testament as promises made and the New Testament as promises kept. And uh, the Old Testament slowly but surely gives us a clearer and clearer understanding of how God's going to keep his promise. And if you think real broadly, it tells us he's going to do it through Israel, through a Messiah, through a future king, and through the sending of the Spirit. And then it gives us all kinds of specifics. Someone's described the Old Testament as being like a pregnant lady. The promise is there in Genesis in embryonic form, like the first month of a woman's pregnancy. And as you move through the Old Testament, the belly keeps getting bigger and bigger until you get to the New Testament and out pops Jesus. It's like, he's here. The promise is here. And actually, a lot of the New Testament is explaining how Jesus can be the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Um, because as we said, it's like God's revealing his promise plan slowly but surely. And we get to the New Testament, and all of a sudden it's like, whoo, fast forward. And it's so fast forward that we might wonder, how does it connect to the Old Testament? And that's actually what a lot of the New Testament is about. One of the hardest things about preaching is that often well, the argument of the New Testament writer, he knows, God knows what's important for us. But the, we don't always know what's important for us. And so when we come to church or to a passage of scripture, we got all these questions, and they're not even the most important questions. So sometimes what's hard about preaching is that we are not asking the right questions. And so the work of preaching is kind of getting the congregation to ask the same question that the author is actually answering so that we can hear what the author is saying. And we trust God that he knows humans better than us. And so we're happy for him to tell us what questions we need to be asking. But one question the New Testament is asking over and over and over again and talking about is how can Jesus, how can Jesus really be the fulfillment of all these promises we read in the Old Testament? How does that work? You have to understand the connection. One theologian said the Old Testament is not just one problem among many, but it is the master problem of theology. Solve the problem of the Christian's use of the Old Testament and you have put yourself in the center of doing theology. And again, what he means is the Bible's telling one story, and yet when you move from the Old Testament to Jesus, you have to figure out how that works. And that's what a lot of the New Testament is doing. It's explaining the Old Testament and the connection with Jesus and what that means for us now. So Galatians, of course. You know, Galatians, that's, that was the confusion. These guys were Gentiles, and they were reading the Old Testament, and Paul's like, no, you don't have to get circumcised. Jesus is all there is. That's what's important. And then these guys coming after Paul to his church plants, and they're like, Paul's a nice guy, but you know, he didn't really, didn't really get the gospel quite straight. And so what you, it's good that you have Jesus, but actually to really be right with God, you're going to have to be like keeping the old, you're going to have to get circumcised. Let's just say, you're going to have to get circumcised. 
I know it's going to be hard, but you're going to have to do it. Because that's, that's how, that's the connection. Like it's Jesus plus live like a Jew. And actually that's how a Gentile would become part of the people of God in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, if I was a Gentile and I wanted to become part of the people of God, I would, you know, go through that whole process, get circumcised and become, live like a Jew. And so they're just saying, nah, nothing changed with Jesus, really. And Paul's like, ah, if you say that, if you don't understand how epic the, the work of Christ was, and basically you just nullified everything that Christ did and took us back to the Old Testament and, you know what, woe is, you know, woe to you. That's, that's, you're condemned. That's not the gospel. I remember uh, being on the plane to South Africa, sitting next to an Orthodox Jew talking about Romans. And it was so funny because I was like, wow, this is like Paul. You know, it felt like now I'm in, I'm in the, I'm in the groove because I just like could almost read Romans to that person because it's literally Paul talking to them, <laughs> to, to them, answering the questions that they, they had. So if you ignore the Old Testament, you don't even get a lot of what the New Testament is arguing or explaining. Um, to get the right answer, you have to ask the right question. And the right question in a lot of passages in the New Testament has to do with the Old Testament. So obviously, if you want to understand your Bible well, you need to understand the Old Testament well. Because it's not just that the Old Testament gives us the logistics and the story and that the New Testament is answering questions from the Old Testament. The Old Testament also gives you the stories and concepts for understanding what you're reading in the New Testament. So imagine I, I, one day I, I'm like, I'm going to start a new political party. And I decide on the day that I'm going to start a new political party, what I'm going to do is I'm going to wear a white wig and I'm going to fly to Boston and do it in, you know, in front of that, um, wherever those boats are, you know, on the port, wherever they tossed over the tea. If you weren't from America and you didn't know American history, you could probably understand my speech, but you wouldn't get the full significance. And I'm not even sure what the full significance is, but I know it must be significant. You get the idea. But one way God works in, in scripture is that he does, he often does something and then does something very similar later with subtle changes. And he really expects that you're paying attention because if you're gonna understand what comes later, you need to understand what went before. And we're gonna see that even happens in the Old Testament. So really cool in Exodus, what happens to Moses in the beginning of Exodus is what happens to Israel later in Exodus. You can almost just put Moses' life and Israel's life uh, on top of each other. And uh, that's actually something that when we get to Exodus, we'll see helps us with a really difficult text. But it's not just there with Moses. A lot of times with Jesus, you're watching Jesus and you're wondering, why is he doing that? Or what is happening there? And the significance of what Jesus is doing is found in going back and understanding the Old Testament. So, I mean, John 1.1, just that. What does, how does John 1.1 begin, start? It's like, in, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So just that, in the beginning, what does that sound like? Genesis 1.1, right? So he brings us, John brings us back to the creation of the world. And why does he start that way? It's, he starts that way because he's going to show us Jesus is the solution to the problem that started all the way back there. And that's probably why when we get to the end of John, he tells us about Jesus meeting Mary in a garden. He's the only one that talks about this garden. And he's the only one that brings up the fact that the tomb Jesus was buried in was in a garden. And after the resurrection, he meets Mary there, and she thinks he was 
You remember who she thinks she's like? She thinks he was the gardener. And so he's coming back to this idea of gar- the Garden of Eden after the resurrection. It's like Jesus is taking us back to where it all started, but better. And even the way Matthew begins, right? He, how does Matthew begin? You're just like, I just got out of the Old Testament. And now there's all the, I'm back to Genesis, you know, with all these genealogies. And so that's Matthew's way of saying, actually, stop, stop. I'm, I'm about to tell you a story about Jesus, but this story builds on the story that went before. So you have to make sure, like before you come in here, before you come into the New Testament, make sure you go back there. <laughs> and at, it's a genealogy, and it's probably building on all those genealogies in Genesis. Genesis, we're going to see, is structured around a series of genealogies. They call them toledots. And part of the point of Genesis is that you're like, why are there all these genealogies in Genesis? It's because at the beginning of Genesis, God makes a promise about a descendant, a seed of the woman. And so you're very interested then in like, who is this seed going to be? And the genealogies are helping you trace that seed. Okay, it's going to be the the descendant of Eve. It's going to be the descendant of uh, Abraham. It's going to be the descendant of, uh, of Judah. And actually, the story of Joseph is kind of helping you understand, oh, it's not Joseph. It's actually Judah. And this is why uh, Jesus is going to be descendant of Judah. Or back to John. John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word dwelt is literally the word tabernacled. And that comes from the Old Testament. And he's using that word for a reason. To understand what's going on with Jesus, you have to understand a little bit about the tabernacle. And who dwelt in the tabernacle in the Old Testament? God. And so we already have proof that Jesus is God if we're reading the New Testament in light of the Old Testament the way we're supposed to. And there's so much more. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Why is he tested in the wilderness of all places? Who else was tested in the wilderness? We usually think Israel, yes, but also David. David faced a number of tests in the wilderness, like like the time he lied, for example, to get bread. And why was David tested in the wilderness? He had to go there because Israel failed in the wilderness, And his job was to bear Israel's destinies on his shoulders, but he failed. And so Jesus has to go into the wilderness to prove that he can succeed where they didn't. And so the Bible, the point is, the Bible is one long connected story. And if you want to understand how the story makes sense, you have to understand the Old Testament. Otherwise, it's like you came in at the last five minutes of a TV show. Um, You didn't see the beginning. Um, You're going to have a very hard time understanding him what's actually going on. And it's not just the story of the Bible that it helps you understand. There's so many doctrines that we believe that are rooted in the Old Testament. And you wouldn't really understand much about those doctrines without the Old Testament. So what are some obvious doctrines that uh, we really need the Old Testament to help us get? You can just think of Genesis 1 would be a a place to start. The doctrine of creation, Um, what it means to be human, what it means to be made in the image of God. Uh, God's plan for the world, the purpose of Israel. Say you wanted to do a series on the character of God, who, who God is. I wonder what book of the Bible you would go to. I was thinking about this the other day. I want to do a series on God. Should I do uh, just random texts on the character of God? That's one way to do it. But you know how I want to do it is I want to preach Exodus because Exodus is a book about who God is. You want to know God? You got to go to Exodus. You want to understand God's sovereignty? You go to Genesis. 
Leviticus, salvation. Um, John comes onto the scene and he's like, behold, the Lamb of God. And we're so used to that, but that's weird. Why would you ever call a man a lamb and think that was exciting? And the Lamb of God. Well, the only way you know the answer to that question really is Leviticus and probably actually Genesis uh, with Abraham. So it helps us understand these obvious doctrines, but there are also maybe less obvious ones that the Old Testament explains that are necessary, like the doctrine of corporate solidarity. So you get this idea in the Old Testament of one person representing many. And you see that over and over, that one person, his life can represent many. David versus Goliath is like probably just such a simple example of that. David defeats Goliath, not just for himself, but for all of Israel. And that becomes crucial for understanding the work of Christ. The fact that one, the one represents the many. So if we, if we, all we had were the New Testament without the old, it would be like having a roof without a foundation. The Old Testament's important. It helps us understand the Bible. It helps us understand theology. And it helps us understand reality. So um, one thing we like to talk about a lot is how stories shape us. And as Americans, um, we grow up and we're told stories that shape how we think about this world. And we don't always even realize how many of our values come from those stories that we were told. So uh, I'm a person who really likes the underdog. Like I cannot watch a sporting event without rooting for the underdog. Um, even sometimes if, if my own team that I like is the, the one that's supposed to win, it's very hard for me not to root, and there's a real, real underdog, it's very hard for me not to root, the underdog, root for the underdog. And I was watching Rocky the other day, which was a movie that my parents and we all watched when I was young. I was thinking, I think some of these movies and these stories uh, that I watched growing up shaped my passion for the underdog. And then even the city I'm from, I'm from Philadelphia, and I was watching, I was reading somewhere just yesterday, somebody asked, what does it mean to be a Philadelphian? And this person said, it means to be the underdog that nobody expects can win who, who overcomes. And I was thinking, wow, you know, like I did not ever have a class on, you, you know, root for the underdog. But there were all these stories that I was being told as a young person that were shaping me without me even realizing were shaping me. Um, we were watching a movie the other day about India, and uh, it was, it was the caste system was abolished, but people were still living according to the caste system. And uh, somehow, I'm assuming that movie was trying to represent reality, I don't know. But somehow, in the movie at least, the caste system made sense you know, to the people that were there. They didn't like it, but it's just the way the world was. Which of course is very different than how we view reality. Why? Because they are told different stories <laughs> growing up. And those stories have shaped the way they look at the world to the point where that's just the way the world is. So we all live our lives on the basis of these stories that we've been told, and I guess if you take a step back, really in light of a big story that we've bought into. And so the problem is the world in which you live is giving you a story about the universe and what is going on that is very different than 
God's story. And if we went back to Genesis, we'll see that's actually what Satan was doing in the Garden of Eden. He's like, hey, this is how God says reality is, but this is actually the story. God, he he doesn't have your good in mind. And so ever since we were born, our cultures and the people around us are helping us look at life and reality. Like in our culture, we're told we come from animals and uh, then we die and that's it. And that story obviously has an impact on the way people think. If I live, if I die, and that's it. What's most important? Living for self. And that's where most people are at. And we're being told these stories all the time. It's happening every time you turn on the TV, every time you talk to your friends. I... uh, Yesterday went for a run and I thought I'll get a book from the library audiobook and I was listening to The Pearl by John Steinbeck and I had to turn it off because I'm like, this is, I, this, is a, this is shaping, you know, like it might be right or wrong, whatever, but this, he, is, he is forcing me to think about life from a certain view. He's not giving me any other option in terms of how I think. And What we need to do as Christians, we're being given this constantly. Everybody, they're constantly telling you their story about reality. And what we do as Christians, we go back to the Bible and we ask, what is God's view of reality? What does God say is happening? And then we interpret, we seek to interpret and understand the everyday things that happen to us in light of that. And we get so much of that story in the Old Testament. The Old Testament tells us this story That answers the big questions about what it means to be human, about what our purpose is. So, I mean, even, you know, this is so simple and so silly, but like sometimes what happens is we never did that work. So we're Christians, but we're still living according to that old, those old stories that we were told. So you'll sometimes hear parents talk to their kids as if, Christian parents, as if the one thing that matters most is find a job where you make a lot of money. And it's like, wow, that's an old story. That's based on an old story. That's definitely not based on the view of reality that the scripture gives us, as if that were the number one, the number one, really the number one thing. And so that's part of why we need the Old Testament. The Old Testament is answering big, big questions. It's giving us not just like, hey, This is what college you need to go to, university you need to go to. It's giving us a view of the world. It's giving us our stories, our stories that are supposed to shape the way we think and the way we make decisions. So sometimes people will say, well, how is the Bible relevant to me? Well, how about understanding reality? Is that like relevant, you know, that you understand reality? The Old Testament shapes your worldview. It helps you understand how everything in the world comes together. Sometimes I think we come to the Bible like um, somebody who wants to cook a meal in the dark. And what the Bible, we want the Bible to give us, you know, the recipe, the salt or something, tell us this, 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 this. And the Bible comes and says, you know what I need to do first? I need to just turn the lights on. And we're like, well, actually do something practical. And we're like, no, turning the lights on is kind of practical when it comes to cooking. So I am doing something practical. I'm just turning the lights on so now you can cook. And a lot of times that's what the Bible's doing. It's not necessarily giving you the exact recipe that you need, but it's saying, let me turn the lights on so that you can see and make decisions that actually make sense. So in other words, the Old Testament is profitable. And the New Testament tells us that. Last week we looked at 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. 
And Paul says, we said, uh, we said, Paul, we focused on the fact that Paul says all scripture is God breathed. But right after that, he says, all scripture is God breathed and is profitable. And he's talking in large part about the Old Testament. And he says it's profitable for what? For instruction, for teaching, for correction, for rebuke, and for training in righteousness. And so that means when I go to the Old Testament, I'm looking for it to rebuke me. I'm looking for it to correct me. I'm looking for it to instruct me. I'm looking for it to disciple me. And it does other things as well. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, the Apostle Paul tells us part of the purpose of the Old Testament. He says, Romans 15, 4, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So he's saying, God gave you the Old Testament so that you can be a person who has a solid hope. Uh, In uh, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, he's looking back to what actually happened in the wilderness. And he says, you know why these things were written? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And so he's saying, these things were written for you, for you to have hope, but they were also written for you to, as an example so that you can learn not to live the way that they lived. Peter in First um, Peter 1 tells us that the prophets, basically they cried out to God. They were making all these great prophecies and they cried out to God. They're like, we wanna know, we wanna know. And uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 1 that God came to them and told the prophets that they weren't serving themselves, but they, they were serving us. And so the prophets, God tells the prophets that they are writing this Old Testament for, for you, for, for me. And how are they doing it? They're doing that by helping us understand the Bible, key doctrines, our world, how to live, and by showing us Jesus. The Old Testament shows us Jesus. We want to know Jesus, and that's why we study the Old Testament. This is a book about him. And uh, Luke 24, Jesus, I read that to you, but verse 44, listen to Luke 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with, with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so that doesn't mean that every verse in the Old Testament is like, oh, there's Jesus, you know, oh, uh, oh, there's Jesus. But the story is pointing you to him and helping you understand him. And Jesus expected that we could learn about him there. He tells the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it's they that bear witness about me. This book you're reading is about me. You know, I was thinking this week, Sometimes we undermine the power of Scripture in the Old Testament as if, um, as if we, it's almost like we think it would be better for us if we were there ourselves and we saw Jesus. But you know, that's what people in hell think. <laughs> so Jesus tells a story in Luke 16 about a rich man and uh, Lazarus. And the rich man's in Hades, but it's hell basically. And he's talking somehow to Abraham. It's a story, I think, but it makes a point. He says, he says to Abraham, he says, let me go and tell my brothers so that they can believe. And so what he's implying is that, you know what? The reason I'm in hell is because the Bible wasn't enough. I had Moses, but I needed some kind of massive miracle. And Abraham says to him, no, 
you're wrong. And listen to this. He says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So he says, if a, re- a resurrection is not going to help someone who can't see Jesus in the scripture. And what's the proof of that? That was really a, um, almost like a prophecy. Because what's the proof of that? Jesus did rise from the dead. And that didn't help the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They just came up with a story. Peter uh, seems to think the same thing. In 2 Peter 1, he's talking about the transfiguration. And uh, that was amazing, of course. But then he goes on to say how we have a word more sure in uh, the scripture. So we take the Old Testament seriously. We love the Old Testament because we love Jesus and the Old Testament and Jesus are connected. And you know what happens if we don't really uh, come to understand the Old Testament better? Is that we don't, we don't end up knowing Jesus as well as we should. Um, someone's written, it saddens me that so many Christians these days love Jesus, but they know so little about who he thought he was and what he came to do. Jesus becomes a kind of photo montage composed of random mixture, a random mixture of gospel stories topped up with whatever fashionable image of him is current, including recently the new age caricatures of him. He's cut off from the historical Jewish context of his days and from his deep roots in the Hebrew scriptures. And so we're going to talk more and more about how to benefit from studying the Old Testament so that we can really come to know and and love Jesus. Um, And we're going to think carefully about what the Old Testament teaches, because I know it can be hard. But this is, this is just a start this evening. Um, if you want to be- benefit from the Old Testament, remember, it is God's word. Come, come humbly. God is speaking. It's valuable. Preach it to yourself. It's profitable. You don't think it's profitable? You're not as smart as God. This is so helpful. This is such a helpful Bible study um, tip. Let me just give you it. You're not God. So, like, he is a lot smarter than you. And when he wrote this book, he made universes. And when he wrote this book, he put his wisdom into it. And so if you don't understand how it can be profitable, guess who's right and who's wrong? God's right. It just means that you might need to do more work. It might just means that you might need to do more prayer. It might just means that it might need to take some time. But he knows what he's doing. And so the question as you come is not, this is not how it's relevant to me. The question is, how am I relevant to it? So, so you go out on your first date with somebody, and all they can talk about is themselves. Um, usually, they're not going to get a second date, unless you really don't like to talk, and you're just happy to listen to words. But imagine, you're going out with somebody, and they're just talking, talking, talking about themselves, and they're just having the best time there ever was. But you're just like, man, can we talk about something else? Some people are like that with the Bible. They open their Bibles and um, have you ever been with somebody who gets so bored the moment you start talking about anything other than them? It's like, it's, it's, it's can be, it's awesome. It can be just like 10 seconds and they're like looking around and you're like, hey man, I didn't even give you a chance. I was like, I was just like start talking about something else for 10 seconds. But some people are like that with the Bible. The moment they feel like the Bible isn't about them, they're, they're incredibly Bored. And what's funny about some of those people is how interested they are in like movies that aren't, you know, you don't go to a movie and I'd say, how was Rocky? And you're like, oh, it's terrible. And I'm like, well, what's so terrible about it? You're like, I wasn't in there. You'd be like, no, man. And the Bible 
but yet when it comes to the Bible, somehow things change. But you remember, the Bible is, is about God, and it's telling us God's view of reality, and it centers on what he's doing through Jesus. So the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about what God and what he's done. It's a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that's come true in real life. The best thing about this story is that it's true. Uh, There are a lot of stories in the Old Testament, but they're all telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. And so we want to read the Old Testament so that we can understand that love uh, more and more. And uh, next week, we're going to take some time just to think about the big story of the Old Testament. So uh, next week, we're going to look at the picture on the front of the box. Um, This week, we talked about why understanding that picture is uh, important. But thanks, guys. Any thoughts or, or questions or comments? You're like, you did a lot of talking, so... All right, awesome. Well, one, you can always um, send me an email if you have questions or um, comments. We'll um, look at the big picture of the Old Testament next week. Uh, you can get an idea of that big picture by reading that book, uh, The Big Story, if, if you want, or The Best Story Ever. Um, but yeah, thanks, guys. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, tonight we were reminded that the Old Testament is important. Um, Lord, we kind of knew that before we came in here, but I hope that uh, we were uh, reminded again of just why it's so important, and uh, we pray that you'll give us the strength and the wisdom to do the work that's necessary so that we might have a deeper relationship with you, because this is not just about getting to know a book better, but it's that as we read this book, we're really listening to you. This is about our relationship with you. And we want to hear you because we know that's how we see you right now. We see you through our ears. Uh, You show us Jesus as we see him in your word and understand what your word says. So please help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.